Welcome to another podcast by Every Nation Brisbane. We're so glad you can join us here today. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at enbrisbane.org. Please enjoy the following message. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could you not have not could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus was deeply moved and again came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take him, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing around that they believe may believe that you sent me. When he had, sa- when he had said these things, he cried out with a, f- a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to to them, unbind him and let him go. Thanks, Paul. Let's all bow our heads in prayer, everybody. Father, thank you for this great example of your miraculous power that we see here, that the same God who was alive and brought to life. Lazarus is the same God that is alive here in 2023 in Brisbane City. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come enable us to encounter you in this miraculous, powerful way. We pray, Lord, that there would be an experience of this miraculous power even in the room today, Lord God. We submit ourselves to you. I submit myself to you and just the presentation and the teaching of your word today that we would hear directly from the throne room of a God who loves his children in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Amen. Uh, We are in the series called Miracles where we've been going through the seven miracles listed in the book of John. This is the final final session in the series of miracles where we're looking at the last miracle that was mentioned apart from obviously Jesus resurrection itself which is a miracle and um, I'm, I'm really excited to break down the word of God today there's actually 41 verses in this chapter I was going to get Paul to read all 41 of them but in order to not punish him so he can go play with his racing cars I just thought I'd give him just 10 today but uh, the title of my message today is life of the party turn to somebody ask them are you the life of the party today <laughs> I, I, I hear some devout no's going around the room. And answering that question, we've had a bit of a party of a week at, on our campus ministry. Shout out to Every Nation Campus. 
I wanted to shout out specifically Samantha, uh, our, our awesome campus minister and the amazing work she's been doing. We had over 50 students sign up on Wednesday as a part of our market day. So I want to thank all of you who volunteered to help out, and especially our student leaders that were out there. Uh, this is, these are some snapshots of some of us that were out there that day. And uh, it was a really great opportunity for us to meet students, old, old uh, friends, as well as new students who are just starting at university. And the reason why here at Every Nation, across the world, we place such an emphasis on campus ministry is we really believe with all our hearts that the future movers and shakers, not just of Australia, but across the world, are studying right now, forming their own life philosophies on the campus, no matter what field of study they're in. And so many conversations were had. Even on uh, Friday night, our, our campus team had, to, uh, had the opportunity to run a, an amazing race. Um, apparently, the highlight was the barbecue after. Uh, after I've talked to, to some of, it always is here at Every Nation Brisbane, right? But uh, they had a lot of fun out there, you know, meeting some of the new students who, uh, who were able to join the campus ministry. And I really honor Sam and the amazing work she's doing there. Our, our campus ministry is, is growing. Continue to keep our campus ministry in prayer and any way that we can support. Please do talk to Sam and the team there. Um, but shout out to you, shout out to all of our team there. If I start going through everybody, um, we, we, we won't have time because yeah, it's so amazing uh, what, what God is doing there. And I was just thinking about, you know, amazing things that are happening on the university campuses. And uh, many of you may have heard over the last uh, 11 to 12 days uh, about what's happening in, on a, in a university in Kentucky uh, called Asbury University. Um, what's happening there right now is, is, is amazing. Um, they, they had their Wednesday chapel, and some of you who attend um, uh, schools that, that are, um, are Christian schools will, will have this experience of chapel. Or some of you that may have grown up in, in Christian schools um, have this thing of chapel. And so they had their chapel Wednesday. And um, this is actually a photo of what happened, like just afterwards. So they basically had their chapel service. Uh, there was a member of their staff that came up the front and gave the challenge for the students as to just ask them, because they have three months left in the semester, you know, just to make the last days of their study count. And how many of them, you know, he was challenging, how many of you will take what you are learning here at Asbury, which is a theological seminary. Most of you, well, all of you would have seen Pastor Steve Murrell, who's the leader, uh, he's the director and president of our, our movement of churches. He's actually a doctorate graduate from Asbury. Many of our leaders have come from Asbury. We actually have a rivalry because I'm a part of the Wheaton gang and they're a part of the Asbury gang, but they've got revival now, so I'm like, okay, you win. But, um, but they had this, uh, this, this chapel service and so the call was given, how many of you want to make your life count in terms of taking what you were learning here at Asbury and going and changing the world? And so they had a call and people responded uh, to, to that call. And uh, afterwards, it ended as per normal, like a normal uh, chapel service. And some of the students just stayed and remained here. I know, I know it's not the best photo, but this is just taken from a, a, like a, a camera that just happened to be in the room. Um, and that some of the students just remained in the room because they were hungry to see, see God move in them so that he would move through them. Fast forward to now what is uh, 12 days later, um, our time, um, there has been uh, th this, this uh, gathering of worship and prayer has not stopped. The room is, continues to be full uh, of people that uh, have come from 
all over the world, um, and well, especially the United States, to come and encounter God. Uh, I'll just read what, what's written in this article here um, by, um, this, is, this is from uh, uh, an uh, Asbury chaplain, and he, he writes here, that, um, taking these snapshots and giving them some context. The first picture, which you see here, depicts the chapel immediately after the usual chapel service. Nothing impressive, just another day. But then the students, for unknown reasons other than the hand of God, began to come back to the chapel. They asked their professors if they could return, for, which was uncharacteristic to say the least. And within a few hours, it was like this. And it hasn't stopped since then, 24-7. People are coming here from all over the country and the world. Last night, we opened up four overflow buildings and all were packed. Student groups from many campuses are here. It is clearly an outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit, but beyond that, we are reticent to call it anything else. History can define it as it will. It is extraordinary and yet nothing new. Many of us have seen and experienced all that is happening here elsewhere, and yet none of us really have been in this kind of sustained move. So the hunger of people coming from everywhere is enormous. It is characterized by exuberant worship, empowered by the Spirit, led by students, no production whatsoever, no screens or words projected, seemingly no song list. They sing until the Spirit seems to give them another song. There is a lot of prayer being led all over the house. Um, there are testimonies given throughout the day. It is the holy love of God rising like a tide and rolling like waves. Jesus is the only celebrity here. This is what he's writing. No one even remotely considers the names of anyone in leadership here. They are not unreasoned, just unknown. Uh, incredible humility characterizes this whole move. This has been enormously disrupted to the life of the school, but no one seems to care. There is a vigilance of love supporting these students. Timothy Tennant, for those of you who are familiar with him, he's a theologian and teacher, and his observation uh, when he got to visit, he said, uh, you sense the presence and the power of God moving in these people's lives since last Wednesday when the outpouring began. I have reflected many times on Jesus' statement about the Spirit when he said, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This is, no, this is not a time to manage this or to try and shape it. This is a time to simply receive from God's hand. Several people have commented on some of the differences between the sacred days and the more well-known out outpouring that happened. Also, there was another outpouring like this in 1970 in Asbury as well. And a lot has been said about the impact of social media in telling the story and about the focus being on worship. However, deeper look at the outpouring reveals that it is the same elements which are found in any authentic revival. Take a note of what he says here. The, the, the marks of a revival here are people repenting of their sins, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, men and women finding reconciliation with God and with one another, people capturing a renewed love for Jesus, the gospel, and the Holy Scriptures. All of the above has been happening here day after day. I love that. I want that. I don't want just a, a, an experience for experience's sake, but I want to have this hunger and this yearning for the presence of God like this. But it, it's, it's like revival or the, the coming back to life. Number one, it happens on God's own time. It's up to him when he breathes on a moment like this. But then number two, there's things that we can learn 
for our everyday lives in terms of how we posture ourselves so that God can move mightily in our lives. How many of you want to see God move mightily in your life today? One of the things he says here, and I'm actually going to Timothy Tennant says here um, in, in describing what he's seen, is that uh, he describes an outer core and an inner core. I found this interesting. And this is where I'm going to lead into this passage that we're reading today. Another similarity, he says, is that the outpouring has the same inner core and outer core in 19, as the one in 1970. There is an inner work of God in the lives of this younger generation. This is the focus of the outpouring. The leadership, I love this, the leadership has wisely reserved the central and front sections of the chapel for the students themselves, since this is their space and God chose to begin this work among them. The outer core are the hundreds of people who are pouring in from the outside and who are catching this fire and bringing it back to their churches and communities. Both are important. What I love about what's happening in Asbury is it sparked um, major moves of God now in a number of universities in the United States, Lee University, uh, some universities in Alabama and Tennessee, and praise God, I hear reports from Wheaton College, my uh, alma mater, that, that, that there's been sparks of what you have seen here in, in my old school out there in Illinois. So I'm, I'm wanting to see it here in Brisbane. You know, I really had a, a blessed time with our young people, our youth, on Friday night, and we got the opportunity, we were talking about the Holy Spirit on Friday, and we all had the opportunity to just pray for one another, and just, uh, and they responded in wanting to see revival on their high schools. But it's going to take a, a, a humility and a repentance on our part to position ourselves for God to use us as vessels when and whenever how he, when and how he decides to move. So let's go back to this passage here from John chapter 11. And I'm going to just look at how we move from the outer core to the inner core in terms of our understanding of moving towards this resurrection power modeled for us in this specific miracle. Now watch this, everybody. In John chapter 11, you can follow me in your Bibles. If, if you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. But please do take notes because I really believe that some of the things that I'll be explaining to you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, will actually be keys to revival in your own life, at least positioning yourself in a way where you can experience the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and how he might move in your life. So John chapter 11, verse 2, it says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. How many of you remember that encounter that Jesus had with Mary where she did this lavish act of worship, preparing Jesus for his burial by, by anointing him with oil and wiping his feet with her hair? Verse 3, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So he's like, Jesus, you've got to know Lazarus is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How many of you find that a little bit jarring, right? Like, if Jesus loved Lazarus, shouldn't he, shouldn't he have packed everything up and 
gone right away. So, you know, the juxtaposition of verse 5 and verse 6, he loved Martha, he loved Mary, he loved Lazarus, and therefore he did not go. It's like, what's going on here? Hopefully you've seen over the last seven weeks as we've gone through the series that God always moves in love, but he always moves in his own time. It's up to him when he breathes life. He chose Asbury. He chose to wait. So there's, there's not a, you know, like, because we, we feel like sometimes because when we can, we feel like sometimes we, we need to be reactionary when we hear news rather than waiting upon what God might have us do in that moment. God has his perfect timing. Ecclesiastes says that he makes all things beautiful in his time. But it's amazing how in this age of social media fury, that when we read a post from somebody, there's a rage that causes us to act rather than learning to wait upon the Lord and just ask, what might he have me do in this moment? Or what might he have me not do? What might he have me say? What might he have me not say in this moment? So based on verse 4 here, this illness does not lead to death. Jesus is saying this. We, if we read that at face value, we'll, we'll be like, okay, Jesus, um, don't you have like a 100% track record of being accurate with what you say? And yet you say here, this illness does not lead to death. We know the end of the story. It did lead to death. How many of you know there's a different kind of death he's bringing up here? So verse 17, if we jump forward, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he wasn't just dead. He dead. No chance for resuscitation at that point. Not, not even Jesus in his resurrected form would be in the tomb for that long. So he was in the tomb longer than Jesus was in the tomb. So the possibility of him coming back to life was zero unless something was to happen from a God who holds resurrection power in his hands. He was well and truly dead. I mean, D-E-D, dead. Then verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and I want us to see, because what's going to happen from this point is we're going to see a progression of Jesus moving towards the tomb and these different people that he's encountering. Obviously, Martha, then Mary, and then, of course, the apex is meeting Lazarus. So let's start with Martha. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary remained seated in the house. That's Mary and her being seated, <laughs> just chilling, man. In Luke chapter 10, you know, Martha's busy doing the work of the house, and, and Mary's just sitting, just chilling. Oh, hey, Jesus is on the way. I'm good. Just chilling, just having a seat. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Now watch this. You're going to hear this phrase twice, but there's a different posture. How many of you know sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's, it's, there's a posture, a positioning. Jesus is moving closer and closer to the, the, the scene, and Martha runs to him upon hearing that Jesus is there. Now there could be one of two reasons why Jesus is encountered by Martha at this point. The, the first reason would be, you know, like the reason why... There, uh, 
she's running towards Jesus could be obviously like you hear about Jesus, then you, you run and, and expect answers. But the other reason that I want to submit to you today is that this mess that they're in now, because Lazarus dead, it's too messy for Jesus to come into. And we're going to read about it in just a moment. It's a stinky mess. There's nothing glamorous about this mess. And so for Jesus to be approached by Martha, it's like, man, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but he did. So you're good. Off you go. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then verse 23, because that's like a polite answer. Whatever you say, God's going to do anyway. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And we notice Martha's heart when we read her response. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know. That's always dangerous. <laughs> when, we, when we say to Jesus, Jesus wants to give us our breakthrough, or he wants to show us what he's about to do in our lives. And then we say, I know, always a bad start to the sentence, right? I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she's quoting passages from what she had heard as a young child. I knew that he would rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's the way religious people talk, right? They roll their R's. Resurrection in the last day. So here's the thing. Uh, she, she basically says, yeah, I know he's going to come back to life. You know, when, when this world comes to an end and God decides to resurrect everybody, I know that that's going to be the case. I know. I know this. And Jesus says, look, all the words you've heard, I am the word. And so he says to her, again, this is one of the seven I am statements pointing towards the divinity of Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't have to wait for that to happen. I'm it, and I'm here. And when I show up, things have to change. Things come back to life. I am here. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he sh shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That was not the question he asked. He said, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm about to do what I said I'm about to do? And he, she answered him in a very theoretical way, a methodical way. And dare I say, you know, like, it's important for us to have a belief in the Scriptures, but the scriptures alone, if we, if we look at just the methodology, the formula of the scriptures, we're only addressing things on the outer core level of which Martha is addressing Jesus. It's the method level. It's having a form of godliness, but not necessarily having the power of the, the living word breathing through that, that, that word. The text comes to life when Jesus is there. And this is the objective of that knowledge. It's, it's not just knowing about God, it's knowing Him in relationship. There are two primary words in the Greek that are used for knowledge or to know somebody. There's the word ginosko and the, and the word oida. The word oida means to have attained a form of knowledge, like you have this knowledge about a thing. 
of how to operate within that thing. I'll give you an example, okay? Because the word gnosko means to have an intimate relationship with. If you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's, it, it's so intimate that it would say, you know, the first mention of the Greek, uh, although the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, when they translated it into Greek, they would talk about how Adam knew Eve and they had children. How many of you know that he didn't just know her, he knew her, all right? I'm just keeping PG, we got kids in the room. He knew her, all right? And, and it bore fruit. Like, that's gnosko. Oida means I know, like, like reading a manual, right? Uh, I know how to operate with it. Okay, for those of you who have observed, I oida how to play the keyboard. I do not gnosko the keyboard, otherwise I'll be arrested, right? <laughs> you will know what I'm saying? All right, I just want you to see the difference. Martha had an oida knowledge, like I know how to operate, I remember all the texts, I'm, I'm a good like kids church student, I, I've memorized the verses and it's great. And, and Jesus is inviting her into the space of moving from that knowledge to actual belief. Do you believe, Martha, that those words that you know are not just embodied, but they're personified in who I am, so when I come into this space, all things conform to the living word. Remember, the author is John, and John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking of Jesus. So Jesus is the Bible right there. It's coming to life. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know that. I learned that in history. And Jesus is like, I'm it. Everything that you studied, I'm here. And I've arrived. And I feel like many of us miss the opportunity to experience the resurrection power of God because we operate on a methodical outer core level when God wants to be invited into that space of dealing with the death that lies within our hearts. We button it up. We don't want God to go. You can go into all the other rooms of my proverbial heart house, but don't come into that room because it's a mess. It stinks. And we're going to notice this when we, we read about Martha later. So Jesus moves from the outer core towards the inner core. In verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice, same words. But what's the posture here? Martha was, I know. Mary fell at his feet. Mary loves feet and sitting. Have you noticed this? Because it's a posture of worship. The same statement, but the posture of the heart is different. Jesus invites Martha to this place of moving from knowledge to belief. Mary does believe, but she is somewhat disappointed. But she's still submitted, not just by statements like, yeah, I know that this is going to come to pass, but her posture is one of worship. God, this is hard. It's really hard to believe you right now. And honestly, if you've been here, this is lament. If you had been here, my brother would have come back to life. But I bring my disappointment. I bring the cry of my heart to you at your feet. She's familiar with this, right? Cleaning 
his feet with her hair. Like she's familiar with being postured in this position of worship. Verse 33, and when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Why is it when we move at a purely logical level within our theology, it doesn't necessarily move God that same way than when we allow our theological uh, uh, theological leanings to actually disrupt the way we live and position ourselves in humility and crying out to God at his feet. That's what moves God, moving in an atmosphere of faith and relationship. Religion stays on the outskirts just by what we know. We know how to operate. But what relationship does is it moves not just your mind, but your heart. I'm not saying dismiss the mind. I'm saying that everything that you learn about who he is should point towards how he presents himself in this relationship. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Martha didn't invite Jesus necessarily to the tomb. Mary and her crew were not afraid for him to come and see. And that invitation for Jesus to come into our mess is what moves us towards the shortest verse in the Bible. Please don't let this be the only verse that you memorize. Jesus wept. That's not a good verse to memorize. You know, the devil comes at you with, with all sorts of lust and, and insecurity and all sorts of depression. And the only verse you remember to come back at the enemy is like, oh, Jesus wept. Hopefully you'll, you'll remember the, this passage so that it actually breathes life on why he was moved. I believe that when the Bible was canonized, by the early church fathers that were sit, sitting at the council. And when they decided to uh, numerate the, the chapters and the verses, there was a reason why they were moved by the Holy Spirit to just keep these two words in their own verse. Sometimes we might think that Jesus is such a, a robot, he doesn't have feelings. He just, I just do what the Father tells me to do. But he has emotions and he's moved. And it's good to note what moves his emotions. It's, it's seeing us in a position of worship and repentance at his feet. And Jesus weeps. He mourns with all of us who mourn. In your time of grief, he grieves. But notice what they do. They invite him into that space of grief. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. If you look at any depiction from any of the four gospels of his death, there is nothing pretty about it. The only beautiful thing about it was the act of mercy and grace and redemption that sat behind the ugliness of what he had to experience. Jesus is not afraid to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn, to grieve with those who grieve. So we move from the outer core into the inner core, which is the relational level. We have a relationship with Jesus. And this is where our emotions and our soul connect to our theology. And that's where it also, that's, this is also uh, an invitation for Jesus to come into that space. Think about our soul. It consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our thinking is transformed by God to think his thoughts. 
First Corinthians, Paul writes that we can embrace the mind of Christ. And he wants to be invited there. But it's a matter of whether we will invite him. Beyond the religious knowledge, it's the relationship of intimacy. To the point where when you are so in love with somebody, you forget the time. Any of you been there before? If you're married, please nod your head. Do like Michael Jackson. Do you remember the time? Right? When you are in love with somebody, you, 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 don't, you don't remember the time. And that's what Mary is saying here at his feet. It's like, I'm trusting your timing because I'm so in love with you. Martha was talking more about his lordship being manifest on her time. Like, if, it, if you had been here, he would have been resurrected. But Mary's posture is one of worship. Like, if you had been here, yeah, he would have been resurrected, but I'm still trusting in your time. At your feet I bow. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See, the, the love that Jesus had was so evident to others around they were, they were looking at him. They were able to see just how much Jesus loved Lazarus. Let me ask you this question. For those of you who are in this room and you walk in a faith with Jesus today, can people see the way that you love other people with the love of Jesus? In the way that you are in your workplace, in the community? Can they see the love that you have not just towards God but towards them through the love of Jesus that you experience? Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? And Jesus, who was deeply moved again, he came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone, and here comes Martha. Take away the stone. Martha says, Lord, by this time, there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Can you see how protective and guarded she is? I don't want you to open it up. Don't go in there. It stinks. The, the King James Version says, it stinketh. Don't go in there. And how many of us, right? We have things guarded in, in tombs, you know, the, the things that are deeply in our, 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 our life, that we know that if Jesus goes there, he's going to smell the stink. Guess what? He is omniscient. He knows everything. He already knows it stinks. What I love about our Jesus is he's familiar with what tombs smell like because he laid in one for three days. He's not afraid of your stank. He's not afraid. Four days, three days, however many days or however many years that you have laid those things in the tomb of your heart. Jesus, don't go there. It stinks. There is an odor, O oh Lord, behind the stoneth. But this is the deepest level. When we begin to trust God with the tombs of our heart, we enter into a, a place of repentance for what might be exposed there what secret things of our hearts might be exposed behind the stinking wall of the tomb of our hearts. And this is the deepest core. If the out, outer core 
is one of knowledge. The, the inner core is one of relationship. The, the deepest core is renewal, where God resurrects and renews and brings life to you. And this is the level where things come back to life, where things that are dead are now renewed and resurrected. And God wants to do that in your life today, my brothers and sisters. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Remember that little Sunday school lesson you gave to me over there? Now we're here. Now we're going to see it alive. And you, you want me to do it or you just, you're afraid that I might see your stank and smell your stank? In verse 41, so they took away the stone. One key word there I want you to notice. It's the second word in that verse. They took away the stone. The vainness. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I love Jesus like he could have fully just gone in and just operated on a methodical level. But he takes time, even though he's fully God and fully man, to address the Father. That I am in relationship with the Father and out of this relationship with the Father and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity at work, we will see this resurrection come to pass. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said on this account, uh, an account of this people that are standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Dead joke, uh, dad joke segue, a segue. You know, there's a reason why Lazarus was never a great Olympian, because Lazarus come forth. Anyway, terrible joke. Never a medalist. Thank you for that charitable laugh. I knew that you always hear me and on account of these people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Here was the whole point. Was that now, because they're at this funeral, this wake, there are more people gathered to see the glory of God. And the man who had died came out and his hands and feet were unbound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Who unbinds him? Is it Jesus? No, right? He gets the crowd that are around him, the community, to unbind him and to let him go. Like Jesus is all about wanting to do the miracles, but he chooses vessels to use, people to utilize to bring the miracle to pass. And hopefully you've seen this as a pattern throughout the miracles that we've gone through. Jesus turning water into wine, you all remember that? Got the servants to bring the, the water jars out. Jesus feeds 5,000. Who are the ones that collect the baskets or distribute the food? It's the people. Jesus could have totally unbound the man from his bandages. And there are many people around us, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has brought back to life, but they're still bound. And he's waiting for us to help unbind them to let them go. See, in the same way that Jesus addresses the Father and is empowered by the Holy Spirit in, in being God, performing this miracle, he is three in one, in community but one. And at the same time, he invites us as community to be vessels that might be used to unbind those who are around us that need to be set free. 
They're breathing biologically, but they're dead theologically. And they're still bound up. And he's wanting to bring them fully into their life. How many of you know you can be alive, but you're not fully going to operate and go to work in your bandages and binds? And, but he uses his church, his people, Bible-believing churches across this great city of ours in Brisbane to be the ones that will get our hands dirty, to, to go into the stinking areas of helping people in their lives and the mess that they may be walking in, to unbind them and to help them to be set free and let go. Lazarus was still alive, but he was still bound. So firstly, Jesus enlists the community to care for Lazarus by unwrapping him and by implication covering his nakedness as well. Because when they unbind him, he will have no clothes. Secondly, God's mission is reflected in the care and the concern for people who are dead and in desperate need of Jesus and his resurrection community. So how are we modeling the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives that we would be trusted to be the ones that will unravel the bandages? And they untied him, and they covered him, and they welcomed him back to life. If you're a Christian in here, the challenge is for us to hear these words from the Holy Spirit. Who will we unbind and help to be let go? So here's the question I propose to you today. And I'm actually going to invite us in just a moment as we enter into a time of worship to a point of repentance as well. There are three cores here that I've presented to you. The outer core, which is the core of just knowing about Jesus, knowing about his word, but not necessarily entering into the inner core, which is having a relationship with him as Lord of your life, as the one who calls the shots, as the one who rules and reigns in our lives, who redeems us and cleanses us from sin so that we can walk in this freedom. And then on the third level, to be renewed, that God would allow for his miraculous power to flow in and through us, to bring people back to life, to help unbind them and to see them set free. Where are you at? Which core might you be at? And would you like to go deeper? This is the question I propose to you. I'm going to give us some time to, to, to pray right now and just to uh, have a, a time of reflection with those who are seated around us. But I already believe that the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. And he's desiring to bring people back to life. And before we, we sing, after your time of reflection, I want to invite us into a moment of prayer and to respond, especially for those who desire to go deeper. So God, I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this room today. I really believe by your Holy Spirit, you're inviting them. You're inviting them to go deeper in you, to trust you more, to bring them back to life, Lord God. I know many of us in this room are battling certain things. We've even, even as under the sound of just this teaching, Lord God, there's been a sense of just an exposure of the tombs that are in our lives, that you're wanting to roll stones away and deal with some of the areas where we've allowed things to lay in tombs for far too long, that you want to bring us back to life. So in Jesus' name right now, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would come and be in every conversation, be in every reflection in this room, that we would in indeed make room for you to move mightily in this place. In Jesus' name. Thank you.
We hope you've enjoyed today's message brought to you by Every Nation Brisbane. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at ianbrisbane.org. Thank you for listening. God bless.